Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jude 3 Project. And I'm joined today by a very special guest, Pastor Chris Brooks, the author of Urban Apologetics. Thank you, Pastor Brooks. It's good to be here with you, Lisa. I'm so excited to join you, and I'm excited about the work of the Jude 3 Project. (laughs) So, uh, Pastor Brooks, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Well, I have the privilege of being the senior pastor of Evangel Ministries here in the heart of Detroit, Michigan. We're a 1,600-member church that has a uh, a huge heart for the Great Commission, uh, for the gospel being proclaimed in cities all around our country and the world. Uh, I'm also the uh, campus dean for Moody Theological Seminary's Michigan campus, so I get the privilege of uh, overseeing the operations for our seminary here in Michigan uh, in connection to uh, Moody Bible Institute out of Chicago. I am the husband of an, a wonderful wife, uh, Yodi, uh, my Ethiopian queen, <laughs> and uh, we have four children. Uh, our first three are uh, by adoption, Chris, uh, Zoe, Cameron, and then uh, we have Judah, who's our youngest. He's a, he was our first biological child. And uh, number five is on the way to be. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you very much. So uh, we're a growing uh, family who uh, is really excited about God's call to serve him here in the city of Detroit and beyond. Amen. That's awesome. Um, so the reason we um, we we decided to bring you on was because you wrote a book. Um, that I thought was great for um, were what definitely what Jude is doing because there's not many African American apologists um, is urban apologetics. What what kind of inspired you to write that book? You know, it's so interesting because it's it's kind of the reality of what you experience. I I've been doing apologetic work for uh, over a decade now, about 13 years, and um, formally I would say. And one of the things that I notice is as I spend time with men and women that I respect, uh, friends from uh, Robbie Zacharias to William Layton Craig to uh, Lee Strobel and Doug Grothuis and um, all of these wonderful apologists, you know, what I noticed is that there weren't many African-Americans that were in these circles. I also recognize the fact that we all, Lisa, right from a a particular context of experiences. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what I noticed is that, at no fault of their own, much of the writings weren't particularized uh, to the urban context, Mm -hmm. uh, really dealing with issues that ethnic minorities face on a daily basis. Uh, And I'm using urban in in some ways to really refer to to not just the large cities in our country, but the inner Mm -hmm. cities of our country as well. And so I recognized that there was a great need for contextualization. And so I like to put it this way, that I want to be a bridge builder and I want to spark a passion for apologetics in the heart of urban Christians and a passion for the urban Christian in the heart of apologists. Mm-hmm. So if I could be a bridge builder in that way, then I've accomplished my job. That's awesome. And and like, I always say that as far as the apologists right from kind of their perspective um, as yeah. far as the illustrations. And Ravi always says, says something. Um, illustrations are the windows that let the light in. Yeah. And it's so crucial when you're dealing with matters um, such as this, that you have the right illustrations to kind of engage 
the audience that you're trying to reach. And if you're not okay. connected to that audience, you won't be able to um, you're not if you're not connected as far as relationship, you won't be able to have the illustrations needed to kind of let that light in. No, I, I fully agree with you. And it's also how we relate to one another. I mean, Jesus was a master at this, right? Uh, he used uh, analogies and illustrations that his audience could relate to. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, as storytellers in this generation, get a chance to communicate the, the, the static or timeless and unchanging gospel in dynamic and relevant ways. And so I think we should all be praying for voices, diversity of voices to emerge in this uh, in this generation that can reach specific people groups that the church needs to reach. The reality is, Lisa, none of us can reach everyone, but mm-hmm. every one of us can reach someone. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Um, what do you think? Um, why do you believe that apologetics and this kind of goes with the first question of why you wrote the book? But why kind of does it need to look different? What are the specific issues that the urban community is facing that's not kind of being addressed in classical apologetics? Well, I think that and not to be overly general, because, they're, you know, the urban community, in particular, ethnic minorities, uh, there is diversity. So mm-hmm. let me just say this. We're not a monolithic group. We mm-hmm. have uh, different issues, different concerns, different experiences. But I do think that minorities need to know that we're seen, mm-hmm. that um, that this particular field or discipline of apologetics, uh, theology that aims to defend the Christian faith, uh, that we see the minority experience. But in my book, what I try to do is divide up the challenges that Christianity is facing in our inner cities into three categories, the ethical challenges, the religious objections, and then the social justice questions. Mm-hmm. I think those are three areas that need to be addressed very specifically and uniquely from a minority perspective. For example, in the book, I deal with religions that uh, often are not written in, in a mainstream way uh, or written about. So uh, black Hebrew Israelites, the Moorish Science Temple, the Nation of Islam, which is probably more popular than the others, uh, but uh, again, not written much about. Um, these are religions that we see on a regular basis in our own backyard, five percenters. So we need to make sure that we are equipping people who engage this, these types of groups on how do they respond to them. And then again, I get into the social justice questions. How do we as Christians, broadly evangelical, uh, those who are committed to the centrality of Christ and the gospel, how do we communicate, um, solidarity with brothers and sisters who are going through uh, in, injustices, public injustices, while still remaining distinctly and uniquely Christian. So we try to address those things in the book as well. Yeah, and I think that's important. Um, I don't, the Breakfast Club recently just had um, Dr. Umar on, and I don't know if you know what the, do you know, are you familiar with the Breakfast Club? No. Okay, it's like, like a kind of like a Steve Harvey, but more Steve Harvey morning show, but more for the uh, 18 to 35 demographic. And they just had a Dr. Umar, who's a pan-Africanist. And he really spoke strongly and he spoke a lot of truth. um, But he came from his, his belief is deeply rooted in pan-Africanism. 
and yeah. he was very he was able to really translate very well in that context because so the social issues of our day and things like that um definitely we have I thought about that when you were talking about you know five percenters yeah. and Hebrew Israelites we have to just do a better job um as apologists um in in kind of dealing with those issues because the, those groups are actually winning over um the African American community because they tackle those issues and I also think that minorities oftentimes we feel that we um have to only uh, spend time researching and discussing uh, the issues that majority culture deems to be important. Mm-hmm. That somehow if, if an issue only affects uh, ethnic minorities, that somehow it's not deemed as important. And so there's this quest to uh, have validation. And the, and the goal of the book is to say, hey, no, these concerns are important. Uh, important enough to write and important enough to research on and to have conferences around. And I will say that my goal with the volume that I wrote was to simply spark a conversation, bring awareness. I try my best to, to cite minority scholars, um, Latino, Hispanic, African American, both male and female, um, Asian, so that people can know that there are scholars in the world of theology, in the world of apologetics, philosophy, that are there, that are intelligent, articulate, have uh, much to say about the cultural issues that we're facing today. Mm-hmm. And that's very important because some, so many people think there are not any books by African-American theologians out there. Yeah. Um, because, unfortunately, I don't think in, in seminary we read an author that was African-American. Um which is no fault to um, our professors. It's just an exposure thing um, being in evangelical seminaries. So. Yeah. And I think, and I think we have to work hard. I think we, we have to challenge and work hard for those who are in seminaries that are leading us to say, man, are we giving uh, uh, a voice to those minorities that are great thinkers, again, great theologians, wonderful defenders of the faith. Are we giving them platform for their voices to be heard as well? You know, I appreciate the work of individuals like Bruce Fields and Anthony Bradley and Thabiti Anuabuile, uh, these individuals that need to be given more more voice. Uh, obviously, uh, on a popular scene, we, we have people like Tony Evans and Vody Bacham, those who preach, and I praise God for them, but we have to give, uh, you know, Vincent Baycoat and those, uh, those scholars, uh, you know, Craig Vincent, those scholars who are doing great theological work, voice as well. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, why do you think apologetics hasn't been promoted in the, in the black church? I think it's a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. I think that if we define apologetics simply as what takes place in the classroom, it's been, been because of this historical distance between the academy and the black church. But if we define apologetics the way that I do, and that is answering the objections that culture has against the faith, mm-hmm. African Americans have been doing apologetics as long as the church has been doing apologetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality is, is that we have been constantly saying these things we believe, and we've been clarifying and challenging the culture's objections to Christianity. 
Um, I just think that what's happening now is more of a recognition by the academy of the uh, credible voices that are out there. But but when you boil down what apologetics is, it is answering the objections that people, that critics and skeptics have about the faith. And you and I uh, are, are very much aware, many of your listeners, of the most recent kind of phenomena in, in Christian hip-hop circles. Mm-hmm. And the, the work that's being done by individuals like uh, Lecrae and, and Trip Lee and and Show Baraka and all of these um, Christian hip hop artists that are putting out great songs artistically. I mean, Humble Beast and the spoken word artists, you know, that are out there like like Propaganda and uh, Beautiful Eulogy. These types of individuals have done a great job at defending the Christian faith on a popular level. So I'm excited that it is that it is rising. But I think that we need more dialogue between those who are in the academy and those who are on the front lines of ministry. And that's why I'm excited about the work that I get a chance to do, both being a campus dean and a pastor. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important. And I think the the disconnect, too, has to be bridged even in the academy. When you look at, um, you know, uh, uh, that even in Baptist circles, most preachers go to liberal seminaries. So there's not yeah. a, a uh, there's not a lot of work done. I guess there's not a lot of emphasis placed on orthodoxy and um, in liberal seminaries. I don't want to make that a blanket statement, but you know what I'm saying. When, yeah, well, I think that, that, yeah, I think that we, we have to be honest about the fact that we, we define what is uh, orthodoxy differently. Mm-hmm. We also define the issues differently. And, and sadly, here's the way that it normally breaks down, Lisa, is you have those who are uh, very much committed to righteousness, the righteousness of God. So making sure we get the gospel right, making sure we get ethics right. And then you have those who are committed to the justice of God, making sure that publicly we treat people well. Mm-hmm. But I love when the scripture says that the, the throne of God is established on righteousness and justice. Mm-hmm. That righteousness and justice kiss one another. And sadly, we've divided the church up into those who are committed to righteousness, right doctrine, right, uh, right ethics, and those who are committed to justice. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is we need to bring both of those groups together and have more dialogue and exchange. We can learn a lot from our brothers and sisters who are trying to give voice to the marginalized, to defend the weak, the whole doctrine of personalism and, and, and the protection uh, and the efficacy for individuals on the basic human level uh, and, and promoting the Amagi O'Day. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, we can champion the cause of biblical orthodoxy and a, uh, a, a historical grammatical hermeneutic to the scripture. We need to bring those two groups together. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree because I, I believe and I um, said this to someone yesterday that apologetics is an ecumenical effort. We need every voice to give a good defense. You know, we need all yep. to be talking. Um, and sometimes we shut another group down because we don't agree completely with everything. But we can take some things um, from them and kind of challenge them in other areas, kind of sharpen one another. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that um, 
the, the, the beauty of apologetics, and, and this can also be a danger, is that uh, where we need to agree is at least in the basic tenets of the faith. We need to be able to agree in, in theism, Christian theism, the sense that we serve an almighty, all-powerful God who is the creator of heaven and earth, that he alone determines right and wrong, that the scriptures are God-breathed, and that they are true and inerrant, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that there's only one way to salvation and to knowledge of God, and that is through the revelation that has come to us through scripture concerning Jesus Christ. I think these things can be championed uh, broadly by those of the Christian faith. Amen. I agree. How, how do you think we could get the black church, the historically black church really interested in apologetics? We know we said based yeah. on your definition, you know, we've, the black church has been doing that for years, but I think this generation of, of young African Americans that are, are growing up in the church they want a little bit more um as far as you know being able to articulate your points intellectually they want to talk about evolution uh they want to talk about the ideas they're hearing um scientific ideas creation you know where does the bible come from um you know are these stories you know i was talking to somebody else uh talking to a friend that grew up in church and now he's becoming a skeptic and he was talking about, you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh and how that ties in. And he met some friends. He has Buddhist friends now, Muslim friends. And he just he can't believe they're going to hell because that's how they grew up. And so these are the people that are coming up. You know, the kids now are growing up. The kids well, that were my age yeah, have grown up yeah. and they have real questions. And apologetic seeks to answer those questions. But that's right. That's the kind of stuff we need in the African-American church. How do we get the church to say, okay, we need to talk about this stuff now? Well, I want to answer that question in two ways, because that is the million dollar question. The first way I want to answer it is this, is to say that it's not enough for the church to answer questions rightly. We have to answer the right questions. Mm -hmm. I think that we focus so much on perfecting our answers to the classical issues that we have maybe lost step with some of the contemporary questions. And so when we walk into uh, a a particular setting, we need to know what questions they are asking and what they're not asking. Let me give an example of that. Um, Mormonism is not a big issue in my neighborhood, Mm -hmm. right? So so I'm in inner city Detroit. I'm right here in the heart of the hood, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Mormonism is not really our issue, though there is a great need for those who are doing Mormon apologetics and helping to uh, build bridges and defend the gospel uh, there. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if I come in here with a strong, clear uh, apologetic on why Mormonism falls short of the gospel of Scripture. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And I'm talking within the context of Detroit. It may be the right presentation and have the right answers and the right information and the right research, but I have not answered the right question. Mm -hmm. And the question that may be on their heart is more of an Afrocentric, Pan-African expression like what you just talked about with the Breakfast Club. Mm -hmm. The other way that I'll respond to that question is to say in my book, I talk about this rising category statistically, demographically, religiously of the nuns. And we're all aware of this group 
of people who now define themselves as having no religious affiliation. But what's interesting is that when you peel into that group, what you find is that though they will not align themselves with organized groups, in particular the church, what you find is that they are spiritual and they have issues that they are very much passionate about. The economy, again, economic justice, educational justice, uh, immigration, uh, even energy. These are things that they're really passionate about. What we have to do as the church is to say what Jesus and what the gospel has to say about these issues. Mm-hmm. And we have to use their passions as an arm ramp for our apologetic ministry. So if you're living in this day and age and you don't know how to engage Black Lives Matter, then you're not going to reach uh, uh, this generation, nor will you increase the awareness or need or passion for apologetics in the black church. You know, right now, what's happening in the black church is this sense of it. Does the does the church has have anything to say about, uh, you know, all of the things that are happening daily on the news mm-hmm. right before us? You know, Eric Gardner, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, the list goes on and on and on. Do we have anything to say about that? Right. Mm hmm. So we need to make sure that we are looking at the issues that are most important, the human sexuality issue. It's a hugely important thing. Does the, does the, does the black church have anything to say about that? This is where we need to uh, speak to. We need to make sure we speak to the issues that are most important. And I'll close by saying this, Lisa, that in my book, I talk about the relationship between apologists and the local church. That's such a critical relationship. And my statement there is simply this. Every church needs an apologist and every every apologist needs a local church. We have to build bridges and create opportunities as pastors for those like yourself who have been given a call of God to live a Jude three life to find themselves within the ministry leadership. I agree. And I, I, um, I wrote an article, um, for Jude on, when when the Charleston shooting happened and I and I, in the article, I posted a quote from um, Dr. Rufus Burrow when he wrote on James Cone and he was talking about the mid 60s and how um, the black liberation movement sprung up um, because the black church wasn't the the young black men were coming to church and not hearing enough about the issues that were um, that they were facing out in the world. Civil rights. Yeah. Yeah. And how that kind of brought up the black liberation movement because people wanted answers to to things they were dealing with outside of the four walls of the church. Yeah. And yeah. if we're not if we're not careful as people who, you know, have this right doctrine and, you know, as apologists, we'll we'll lose a group of people if we're not talking about the issues like you were saying, the Black Lives Matter because they're saying, okay, you're just giving me information that has nothing to do with what I'm dealing with outside of the four walls. Yeah, you very well said. And I commend you for the work that you're doing, the blogging you're doing, you fighting on the front lines for this, because uh, we need uh, a thousand more Lisa Fields out there that are willing to continue to say the church does have an answer. Because again, if we, if we're not given an answer, and here's the thing, Lisa, that we gotta remember. Whenever the church doesn't give an answer to an issue, people assume it's because we don't have an answer. 
mm-hmm. for that issue. And the, and the issue with the gospel is never that we that, that that we have a deficiency of answers. The gospel answers the longings of the hearts of men. The challenge is, are we giving that answer? Mm-hmm. Yep, that is the challenge. What has been your response from um, black and white um, churches from from your book, pastors and scholars? Yeah, I'm I'm grateful because. Um, the response has been phenomenal. You know, I um, I'm humbled by it because it it's kept me busy for sure. And, uh, <laughs> pray for me, as I said, we uh, expecting our fifth child, and I have a wonderful wife. But uh, it has been a sacrificial season. But but I'm grateful, and uh, we've been able to do um, you know talks and training from from everyone from the Southern Baptist denomination and uh, the North American Missions Board conferences to the Church of God in Christ and uh, African-American groups, uh, AME Church, uh, you know, working with pastors that uh, are involved in the front lines in urban ministry centers all over the country. And I got to give a shout out to friends of mine that are doing great work like Eric Mason and D.A. Horton and uh, Dahati Lewis and uh, all of these brothers who are doing great work on the front line. I really appreciate them and my sisters like uh, Nicole Johnson, who's in a PhD, finishing up Ph.D. work uh, at Trinity and, and working with me over here at Moody and uh, and uh, many others. And so I am uh, I'm grateful for how well the book has been received. I will also say this, Lisa, there are a lot of people in white churches that uh, recognize the need for cross-cultural ministry. They want to be equipped to do it effectively. And so the book has also been used in seminaries to train those who uh, feel called to do urban ministry effectively. That's awesome. That is so awesome. Um, I'm really encouraged to hear that, Um, especially your work with uh, Kojic and AME. Um, That's amazing. Um. What would, what are your final thoughts? What do you, what do you want the listeners to take away from this interview? Well, you know, more than anything else, I want the listeners to understand that every generation of Christians have been presented with certain challenges to the faith that they've had to respond to. Let's not run from that. Let's realize that though the times we live in are complex and yes, they are challenging. They are also exciting. I wouldn't want to live at any other time in human history than the time we live in right now. There's such great opportunities and doors for the gospel to be proclaimed. But I also sense that in this country in particular, the window uh, is closing on us being able to do it with the amount of freedoms and liberties we have. Uh, we know right now one of our Christian sisters, Kim Davis, uh, in Kentucky is behind bars for her stance for her faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality is, is that the honeymoon between Christianity and America is ending. And uh, we're living in a post-Christian country, but never before has the need for the gospel been more real and more relevant. So I'll just encourage people to get out there, roll up your sleeves, get in dialogue, uh, get equipped, follow ministries like like Jude 3, and get in churches. And I will say as a pastor that the best friend of any pastor is the man or a woman who is on the front lines winning people to Christ. And so go to your pastor and ask your pastor, if you have a passion for apologetics, how can I use this passion to better serve the mission of our church of reaching 
our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, if somebody knocked on my door with that, <laughs> I would give them a hug. And so, uh, yeah, just go to your pastor and say, how can I use this? Because far too often apologetics uh, has this, the, the, the apologists within our church have kind of this hostility to the pastors and vice versa that somehow uh, one isn't doing their job full of, uh, well enough. The reality is we need one another. We're different by design, but apologists need pastors and pastors need apologists. Amen. And I want to encourage all our listeners to get um, Pastor Brooks book, Urban Apologetics. We'll have a link um, to purchase the book on our website so you could get it. Um, click the link and get it there. Thank you, Pastor Brooks, for agreeing to be on the podcast again. Thanks, Lisa. It was great being with you. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. Um, As always, you can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com backslash podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at Jude 3 Project, on Instagram at Jude 3 Project, and on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Jude 3 Project. And remember, at the Jude 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.